I have to put you on to Armoire, the convenient solution to effortless, fresh, and stylish dressing. With an Armoire membership, you can curate the perfect wardrobe with high-quality, unique brands tailored specifically to your taste. Simply take a five-minute style quiz, select items from your personalized closet, then your chosen styles arrive at your doorstep in as little as two days. When it's time for a wardrobe refresh, just swap out your current pieces for new-to-you styles. I go from professional to the carpool pickup line, so I need a diverse wardrobe. With Armoire, I always have something fresh and on-trend for any occasion, without the clutter. I recently edited my wardrobe to staple pieces only because Armoire allows me to add new pieces monthly and return them just in time for me to do it all over again. And by renting, rather than constantly buying new clothes, I'm contributing to sustainability. Armoire is currently helping me through my chic era with all the high fashion and edgy options that I am loving. And the empowering aspect of supporting a women-founded and women-led business is so cool. With their personalized styling suggestions and diverse designer offerings, Armoire has helped me define and refine my personal style, even as trends evolve and my body changes. Whether it's a date night, a professional event, a formal affair, or just a trip to the grocery store, Armoire ensures that I am always dressed to impress effortlessly. Right now, my listeners can give Armoire a try and get up to 50% off their first month. That's up to $125 off. Just visit armoire.style slash murderish. That's armoire.style, A-R-M-O-I-R-E dot style slash murderish to get up to 50% off your first month and never worry about what to wear again. Try Armoire today. The opinions expressed in this episode do not necessarily reflect those of the Murderish podcast. Sensitive topics are discussed. Listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions about suicide. Please take care before listening. A social outlier is given a total makeover from their popular peers, and suddenly, everyone adores them. It's a premise you might recognize from a 90s romantic comedy. Oftentimes, people who once bullied the eccentric Ugly Duckling will then compete for their attention post-transformation. Christine Paolia had it rough growing up. Her household was not the most stable, and her social life was a source of trauma. But when two beautiful and popular classmates entered Christine's life, everything changed for the better, or so it seemed. This is Jamie, and you're listening to Murderish. Join me as I explore the case known as the Clear Lake Murders. This case takes us to Houston, a city with the largest population in the state of Texas. It's also the fourth most populated city in the country. Within the southern portion of Greater Houston is Clear Lake City, a self-contained upper-scale community. It's a harborside neighborhood that feeds into Galveston Bay. Residents of Clear Lake are mostly affluent. The area hosts a bustling business district mostly made up of the tourism and aerospace industries. Unlike Houston's lively downtown, Clear Lake offers a dense suburban feel. For most of her life, Christine Paolia called Clear Lake her home. No one could deny that Christine Paolia was dealt a difficult hand. Born in March of 1986 on Long Island, New York, to parents Lori and Charles, Christine grew up with one older brother. Lori Paolia raised the children while their father worked construction. The pressure of supporting his young family led Charles Paolia to battle heroin addiction. It's unclear if his drug use played a role in the tragedy that ended his life. When Christine was just two years old, Charles was killed in a construction accident 
She was barely old enough to remember him, but the loss altered the family dynamic tremendously. Christine's mother, Lori, was so grief-stricken, she could barely function. Unable to cope in a healthy way, Lori turned to drugs. Lori's downward spiral ultimately caused her to lose custody of her children. For several years, Christine and her brother were under the care of their grandparents. This fractured the bond between Lori and her kids as she forged a path to sobriety. It's easy to imagine that Christine and her brother felt like they had lost both parents. As if that wasn't difficult enough, Christine suffered from alopecia, an autoimmune disease that causes dramatic hair loss. Around the time she was in kindergarten, Christine developed bald patches on her head. At the same time, her eyelashes and eyebrows diminished. As she grew older, Christine dealt with her affliction by wearing wigs and drawing on her eyebrows. Despite her attempts to fit in, Christine was relentlessly bullied. Classmates constantly yanked off her wigs, ridiculed her thick glasses, and laughed when her eyebrows sweated off in humid weather. Christine's tendency to be introverted only made others perceive her as an easy target. Throughout junior high, peers continued to treat Christine like a total outsider. The summer before high school though, Christine was given a fresh start. In the years apart, Christine's mother had finally conquered her addiction and remarried. Lori and her new husband, Tom Dick, decided to relocate the family to Clear Lake City, Texas. As Christine started as a freshman at Clear Lake High, she hoped to finally escape the cruelty she'd endured in school for so many years. Maybe this school would be different. And much to Christine's surprise, her experience at Clear Lake High was completely different. Two popular girls, Rachel Kularudis and Tiffany Roll, took Christine under their wing almost right away. Rachel and Tiffany gave Christine a complete makeover, transforming her look by taking Christine shopping for trendy clothes. They also mentored her with beauty tips. The girls introduced Christine to their group of friends and included her in social outings. Before long, the three friends grew inseparable, remaining incredibly close throughout high school. Christine, Rachel, and Tiffany started keeping photos of each other in their wallets. According to the New York Post, on the back of a photo Rachel kept in her wallet, Christine had written, Damn, we've seen some crazy memories. I love you. In 2003, her senior year, Christine was voted Miss Irresistible by her classmates. Around that time, she began dating 21-year-old Christopher Lee Snyder. Their relationship was a disaster from the very start. To say Chris was a bad influence on Christine would be a great understatement. No one approved of their relationship, least of all Christine's mom and stepfather. Lori Paolia felt threatened by Chris as soon as she met him. She told the New York Post she considered Chris to be a pushy, aggressive kid, and his past certainly supported that first impression. Chris Snyder had a history of juvenile delinquency. From the ages of 15 to 18, Chris was incarcerated in a Kentucky jail on robbery charges. Once his time was served, he requested permission to relocate. The state allowed him to move with his family to the Houston area. Chris was on probation when he met Christine Paolia. It was Chris who introduced teenage Christine to hard drugs. Her mother's worst fears were coming true. At the time, she had no idea how much worse Chris's influence on Christine would become. But to Chris's family, Christine was the villain. As a couple, she and Chris had frequent arguments that turned explosive. Some of their worst fights became a neighborhood spectacle, with Christine sleeping on the Snyder's front lawn, yelling obscenities outside Chris's window, and rattling the screen door throughout the night. 
On more than one occasion, their conflicts turned physical on both their parts. Chris's sister, Brandy, told the New York Post that around the Snyder household, Christine was referred to as the psycho. She told the New York Post that Christine had threatened to kill my mom, my dad, and even me. She was an absolute cancer to us. Despite the toxic nature of their relationship, Christine and Chris stayed together through the second half of her senior year and after graduation. Rachel and Tiffany told Christine that she could do way better than Chris. They hated the way he treated her and hoped their friend would find someone who would treat her with respect. Rachel and Tiffany's criticism of Chris created a wedge in the trio's friendship. After graduating from high school in 2003, Christine's life continued to unravel. The deeper she got into addiction, the more she and Chris butted heads. It seemed evident to everyone who knew Christine that her start down the wrong path began with Chris Snyder. Meanwhile, Rachel and Tiffany were excited to attend college in the fall. They were on the brink of a new chapter in their lives, one that swelled with possibilities. From a young age, Rachel had her sights set on attaining a bright future. She worked throughout her high school years to pay her way through college and give herself a financial cushion. Rachel's jobs included customer service at the UPS store, working as a cashier at Randall's grocery store, and waitressing at Denny's. Rachel was also heavily integrated in the community. She babysat neighborhood children, helped lead a youth drama ministry at her church for several years, and worked as a youth counselor at various summer camps and vacation Bible schools. It's been said that Rachel was extremely patriotic and had expressed the desire to serve her country. Before committing to college, she'd contemplated enlisting in the U.S. Air Force. Although the first thing people noticed about Rachel was her model-like outward beauty, it was apparent that she also had a heart of gold. Tiffany's early life, on the other hand, mirrored Christine's in one crucial way. Like Christine, Tiffany had lost a parent at an impressionable age. When Tiffany was 13, her mother Sally died after a long battle with cancer. Unlike Christine though, Tiffany was able to lean on her family for support during her time of grief. Tiffany's father, Chester Roll, was eventually able to move forward, remarrying years later. Chester and his second wife, Christine Schaefer, moved half an hour away to Manville, Texas. At 16, Tiffany's father allowed his daughter to continue living in their childhood home alone and vowed to check on her regularly. Chester wanted Tiffany to be able to finish out high school with all of her friends at Clear Lake High. For most of high school, Tiffany was in a serious relationship with 19-year-old Marcus Priscilla. He was a freshman at San Jacinto College where Tiffany's dad happened to work as a music instructor. Tiffany and Marcus were very much in love. A few weeks after graduation, Tiffany decided to invite Rachel to move in with her. The young women spent nearly every waking hour together anyway, so why not save money living rent-free at her father's home? The summer after graduation was fun and memorable for Tiffany, Rachel, Marcus, and Marcus's cousin and best friend, Dilbert Sanchez, who everyone called Nick for some reason. All four teenagers were fixtures at Tiffany's house. Other frequent visitors to the summer's most popular teen hangout spot were Christine, her on-again, off-again boyfriend, Chris, and a few other acquaintances. The young adults partied, drank, and did drugs, but they also played tabletop games, ate too many Doritos, and painted each other's fingernails. For the most part, Tiffany had complete freedom. As the only 18-year-old from Clear Lake High, 
with an entire house to herself, she hosted a lot of gatherings. In mid-July of 2003, Tiffany's father was going out of town to attend a conference. It was Friday, so it would be the first weekend in forever that Chester would not be stopping in to check in on his daughter or give a guest a looking over to decide if they were bad news. Despite his arm's length approach to parenting, Chester was very protective of Tiffany. Tiffany took advantage of the weekend of freedom and planned a low-key hangout. It wasn't a full-blown party. She just wanted to have her favorite people over for something casual. When Christine and Chris arrived at Tiffany's house, it was just after 3 p.m. Tiffany, Rachel, Marcus, and his cousin Nick were already hanging out there. It was a gorgeous summer afternoon that would somehow turn into the scene of a massacre. If you didn't hit that New Year's resolution health goal yet, you might be rushing to hit it now. The holiday season is upon us, I know, sigh. And it comes with all kinds of sugar-filled foods that make clean eating extra challenging. Green Chef can help you with that. They take the work out of eating clean with chef-crafted, nutritionist-approved recipes. Green Chef meals contain fresh ingredients and nothing artificial. Select from a variety of recipes containing healthy proteins, such as turkey, sockeye salmon, barramundi, tilapia, scallops, and shrimp, and even certified organic whole fruits. Not a meat eater? No prob. There are options to fit every lifestyle. Eat clean the easy way with recipes that support your health goals without skimping on flavor. And you'll be helping the environment too, because with Green Chef, you're reducing food waste by up to 23% versus grocery shopping. I personally love how convenient Green Chef is. As a busy mom and entrepreneur, I get so caught up in what everyone needs from me that I don't allow myself enough time to get healthy groceries and cook a homemade meal. But with Green Chef, I save a ton of time since they do all the meal planning and grocery shopping for me. If you've listened to any of my past episodes, you may already know that I also love HelloFresh meal kits. HelloFresh is now the proud owner of Green Chef, which resulted in an expanded range of meal plans catering to all types of eaters. Personally, I love alternating between the two brands and I'm excited to share exclusive discounts with my listeners so they can savor the best of both. For Green Chef's best deal of the year, get $250 off with code MURDERISH250 at greenchef.com slash MURDERISH250. During the early evening on July 18th, a different group of Tiffany's friends arrived. It felt like dozens of other evening hangouts when the kids, most of them barely even 20, entered the home. Nothing could have prepared them for the horrific scene that awaited them inside. Neighbors Angel Amador and Doyle Smith came rushing over upon hearing the screams. As reported by the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, one of the teenagers fleeing the house shouted that everyone inside had been shot. Once the neighbors entered Tiffany's house, they found an unimaginably grim sight. A young man and woman were seated on the couch, hunched over and riddled with bullets. A teenaged girl lay motionless in front of the TV, face down in a giant pool of blood. Another young man was found unconscious behind the couch. Angel Amador immediately recognized Tiffany as the young woman collapsed on the couch. According to the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, Angel had known Tiffany since she was just 10 years old. By the time he reached out to police, Tiffany and Rachel's employers had already raised alarm bells. Both of the young women had failed to show up for their waitressing shifts where they worked at a local adult entertainment club. Houston police arrived as soon as they could. Unfortunately, 
everyone left inside the house was already dead. Investigators determined that more than 40 bullets had been fired and shot with precision. This had been an execution-style killing done by a person or multiple people who knew how to handle a gun. Right away, detectives were able to develop a criminal profile for whomever was responsible for the mass murder. Houston Police Sergeant Brian Harris told ABC News, there was a lot of rage and anger behind these killings. And so therefore we thought, perhaps there was a personal relationship between the victims in the home and the killer. It seemed clear that the bulk of aggression had been reserved for Tiffany. According to the New York Post, Tiffany had been shot at least 12 times, including once in the left buttock, which suggested she had tried to run from the shooter. Her head had been bashed in with a blunt, heavy object, and a clump of hair was clenched in her right hand. Tiffany had not given up without a fight. An autopsy report helped identify the victims and conveyed the extent of savagery in all four murders. As cited by the Corpus Christi caller, Chief Medical Examiner Dr. Luis A. Sanchez established that Marcus had been shot in the head, abdomen, and right arm, and sustained blunt force injuries to the head. His cousin Nick had been shot in the head, neck, left arm, torso, and left shoulder. And Rachel had been shot in the head, abdomen, and her lower extremities. One type of injury that Rachel and Tiffany had in common revealed an unusual truth. Both young women had been shot in the crotch, which detectives interpreted as a response to sexual jealousy. Though it was obvious the murder weapon was a firearm, there was very little physical evidence for police to analyze. This gruesome crime had occurred in the middle of the day though. Someone must have seen something. An investigation began by looking into the victim's backgrounds. Detectives analyzed who they interacted with, if they had any known enemies, and anything else that might connect a person or persons to the victims. As police sergeant Tom Ladd would later testify, he learned early on that Marcus and his cousin Nick were drug dealers. Young people throughout the neighborhood said that Tiffany's house was the place to go and buy drugs. There was a strong possibility that the quadruple murder was related to drugs. Some of Tiffany's neighbors were able to provide a vague description of individuals they saw enter and leave the house around the time of the killings. It wasn't much to build an investigation around, so homicide detectives knew they had their work cut out for them. Word spread fast in the upper middle-class suburban neighborhood. Clear Lake City residents were petrified that a vicious killer may still be in close proximity. No one could make sense of what happened, least of all those closest to the teenagers. Tiffany's friend Kyle Clement told the Fort Worth Star-Telegram how well-liked she was, saying she never had a bad bone in her body. She always had a smile for everybody. Others acknowledged Marcus, Tiffany's boyfriend, was involved with some shady characters. He was protective of Tiffany, though, and would have never intentionally put her in harm's way. Houston police received more than 400 leads in the early months of the investigation, but they all led to dead ends and the case eventually went cold. In June of 2004, the strongest lead yet emerged when an anonymous tip was called in to the Crime Stoppers hotline. An unknown neighbor of Tiffany's provided a more detailed description of two people seen going into the home just before the murders. Two composite sketches were created that would prove instrumental in cracking the case. In the summer of 2005, Crime Stoppers used the sketches on a billboard 
to seek the public's help in solving the quadruple murder. They offered a $100,000 reward for any credible tips leading to an arrest, which was the largest amount that Crime Stoppers had ever offered up to that point. $95,000 of that reward came from private donations, which demonstrated how much the community needed resolution. A year later, nearly three years to the day since the murders, one particularly memorable phone call came in. An anonymous male called in the tip that while he'd been in rehab with Christine Paolia, she had admitted to being involved in the crime. According to ABC News, the caller provided details only the killer would have known. He also mentioned a second name, Christopher Snyder. It was easy to connect Christine to victims Tiffany and Rachel, her estranged best friends. As reported by the New York Post, within two days of receiving the anonymous tip, detectives used Christine's ATM activity to track her down in San Antonio. Investigators found Christine in a motel room littered with trash and drug paraphernalia. She was accompanied by a man named Justin Rott, a heroin user she'd recently married. On July 19th of 2006, both Christine and Justin were formally arrested under the guise of drug charges. Police reportedly uncovered 70 vials of heroin in their motel room. Under questioning, Christine denied killing her friends. She told detectives that she and Chris had broken up while he was serving jail time for a car theft in Kentucky. Around that time, Christine entered rehab where she met her new husband, Justin. After they married in March of 2005, Christine cashed in on a 360,000 trust fund from her late father. Some of it was used to buy an apartment, but most of it was dwindled away on drugs. Around the second anniversary of the murders, Christine learned from a newscast that sketches had been released of two suspects in the unsolved murders. The news distressed Christine enough to go on the run with her husband. She and Justin went into hiding and lived in a motel for over seven months where one drug binge followed another. When questioned, Justin Rott asserted that following the unsettling newscast, Christine made a confession. He said she admitted to him that she and Chris Snyder had committed the murders. It was Justin who'd been the anonymous Crime Stoppers tipster, essentially turning in his own wife. His post-arrest interview corroborated what detectives had learned. Over the next several days, Christine's account changed half a dozen times. According to the New York Post, in Christine's version, she and Chris had gone to Tiffany's house that day to steal money and drugs. It had been Chris's idea. As the couple walked through the front door, Chris shot at Marcus and then handed Christine a gun. Christine claimed the gun went off on its own and then she lost control, blindly firing around the room as tears streamed down her face. That story did not align with what investigators observed at the crime scene. The blind discharge of a firearm would have created scattered bullet holes in the walls. But the biggest takeaway was the position in which Rachel's body had been found. It was clear to investigators she had attempted to run from her attackers before she was taken down. Finally, Christine relented. According to ABC News, in one police interrogation, Christine acknowledged that she had fired a pistol on the day of the killings a million times. Christine knew this was the end of the road for her and she eventually confessed to participating in the fatal shootings. At the same time, she insisted Chris had coerced her into pulling the trigger. On July 21st, Christine Paolia and Chris Snyder 
were charged with capital murder. Christine was held at the Harris County Jail on half a million dollars bail due to being considered a flight risk. Chris, however, was nowhere to be found. Just about everything is online nowadays. We hardly go to the store anymore since we can order everything we need with the click of a button. There are automated subscriptions for food, paper towels, vitamins, and even razors nowadays, which feels impossible to keep tabs on what you're spending each month. That's why I'm a fan of Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps you lower your bills all in one place. I'm really good at signing up for a free trial for a new subscription service, but I am horrible at remembering to cancel that trial once it's over. With Rocket Money, I can easily identify and cancel any subscriptions I might have forgotten about, which is a lot. It's literally as easy as the click of a button. No more long hold times or annoying emails with customer service. Rocket Money does all the work for you. And if subscriptions aren't your problem, but keeping up with your monthly expenses is, you'll be really happy to hear that Rocket Money can even negotiate to lower your bills for you by up to 20%. Just take a picture of your bill and Rocket Money takes care of the rest. No, seriously, that's all there is to it. With Rocket Money, you can easily track your expenses within one single platform. It provides personalized budget suggestions based on your previous spending patterns, and it goes the extra mile by sending you alerts when you approach your spending thresholds. With over 5 million users and counting, Rocket Money has helped save its customers an average of $720 a year and 1 billion in total savings so far. Stop wasting money on things you don't use, cancel your unwanted subscriptions, and manage your money the easy way by going to rocketmoney.com slash murderish. That's rocketmoney.com slash murderish. Are you tired of battling through the dreaded pre-period week or struggling with menopause symptoms? It's time to reclaim control with Estro Control. When I'm not feeling like myself, I'm not able to show up as my best self for my family, my friends, or my podcast team. Luckily, I found Estro Control. The formula is designed to make that time of the month a breeze so you can finally feel like yourself again. And for those battling through menopause or perimenopause, Hormone Harmony is here to help. With their science-backed adaptogenic blend, you can conquer hot flashes, low moods, poor sleep, and more. Happy Mammoth, the company behind Hormone Harmony, is dedicated to making women's lives easier. And that means using only science-backed ingredients that have been proven to work for women. They make no compromise when it comes to quality, and it shows. Join the thousands of women who swear by Happy Mammoth's products. It says something that a bottle of Hormone Harmony is sold every 24 seconds. Plus, the adaptogenic blend helps your body adapt to hormonal changes naturally. Whether you're dealing with PMS woes or menopause struggles, Happy Mammoth has you covered. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what women mention over and over in their reviews. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code MURDERISH at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code MURDERISH for 15% off today. Chris Snyder's photo was plastered all over the news. Law enforcement announced that he was now considered a fugitive on the run. For three days, police from multiple states raced to track him down. Local news in Louisville interviewed Chris's mother and sister, who encouraged Chris to turn himself in if he happened to be watching. Since Chris's last known location had been around Louisville, Kentucky, their search started there. Through interviews with Chris's friends, investigators learned that Chris had recently relocated to Greenville, South Carolina to live with a woman he'd met on MySpace. Then, an anonymous tip implied 
that Chris may have died by suicide. Several reports came in of alleged sightings around the time Christine had been arrested. As reported by the Houston Chronicle, Chris's new love interest told investigators he had left her apartment one day on foot, wearing only shorts and a muscle shirt. Chris had no money on him, and he'd left his cell phone behind. She said he'd stolen a bottle of painkillers before he vanished. On August 5th, 2006, a team of detectives, along with trained cadaver dogs, scoped out Greenville's Main Street. A decomposing body, later confirmed to be Chris Snyder, was found in a heavily wooded area of town. As reported by the Houston Chronicle, detectives learned that a family member had informed Chris that there was a warrant out for his arrest. Rather than face the consequences of his actions, Chris ended his life with prescription pills. Family members of the victims had mixed reactions to the news of Chris's death. George Kularudis, Rachel's father, told the Houston Chronicle, it would have been nice to have him brought in and been able to look him in the eye and all that, but he got what he deserved. After Chris's death, his loved ones continued to defend his reputation and blame Christine for the gruesome crimes. Christine's family refused to believe that she was the mastermind. Her stepfather, Tom Dick, told ABC News, she was not capable of doing this. There's no doubt in my mind, what's happened is a tragedy. She's as much a victim as these poor kids. She's not the one that did this. The one that did this is gone. The outcome of an upcoming trial would depend on two things, Christine's version of events versus what the state could prove really happened. As court proceedings began, Christine used her remaining nest egg money from her late father to hire Mike DeGarren, a prominent Houston criminal defense attorney. At a pretrial hearing, Christine pleaded not guilty to the capital murder charges. It marked the first time she had to face the victim's families. Mike DeGarren presented his defense, painting Christine as a cog in Chris's murderous scheme. DeGarren was quoted by ABC News as asserting, Christine Paolia never intended for anybody to be hurt, and she didn't even know what Chris Snyder was going to do. Harris County Prosecutor Rob Frayer announced in court that the defendant would tell you that she was so scared that he gave her a gun that she never used. She's guilty of capital murder. Frayer later said to ABC that Christine's defense was a bunch of crap. It's easy to blame somebody if they're dead. Who knows what he would have said if he were alive? Anne Kularudis, Rachel's mother, found it incredibly difficult to be in the presence of the girl who allegedly helped kill her daughter. She had welcomed Christine into her home when Rachel befriended her, and she felt incredibly distraught over the devastating events that had transpired. Anne told ABC about Christine. I couldn't take my eyes off her. I really hoped to see something in her eyes in the way of remorse. And it was unbelievable. You know, she never shed a tear unless it was for herself. The families of those killed on July 18th of 2003 would have to wait a bit longer for justice. As written in the book, Never See Them Again by M. William Phelps, the trial was delayed for more than a year due to motions, hearings, and filings by both sides. Then, just one day before the trial was slated to begin, Hurricane Ike threatened to postpone it again. More than five years after the Clear Lake murders, Christine Paolia's trial finally began in early September of 2008. Since the 22-year-old was only 17 years old when the crimes were committed, Christine was not eligible for capital punishment. However, a guilty conviction would lead to a life sentence. In opening statements, Prosecutor Frere stressed how the trust Christine had instilled in Rachel and Tiffany enabled her crimes. On the afternoon in question, Rachel had gleefully opened the door 
to a girl she thought was a close friend, only to be greeted by a hail of gunfire. As quoted by author M. William Phelps, Brayer alleged, they started shooting the moment Rachel Kularudis opened the door. Look at all the shell casings in the foyer. Defense attorney Mike DeGuerin countered in his opening statement by saying Chris Snyder had tricked Marcus Priscilla out of drugs earlier that day. And then Chris returned to the house that afternoon to show his girlfriend, Christine, he wasn't scared of Marcus. According to the Houston Chronicle, Chris opened fire with a 9mm semi-automatic pistol and then shoved a 38 caliber revolver against Christine's stomach to make her help. It was an attempt to shift the blame away from the defendant. Among key witnesses throughout the trial were the neighbors who'd seen someone matching Christine's description entering Tiffany's house. Justin Rott, Christine's estranged husband, testified about his wife's confession. As reported by the Clear Lake Citizen, he recalled Christine re-entering the house after Chris had fled the scene of the shooting so she could make sure that everyone was dead. As stated in Justin's testimony, ABC News reported that Christine found Rachel choking on her own blood and attempting to call 911. Justin testified that Christine proceeded to beat Rachel in the head with the butt of her gun until she died. The defense attempted to poke holes in Justin's statements. DeGuerin accused him of inventing the story in order to claim the reward money. It was also possible, DeGuerin alleged, that Justin was only cooperating with the state to dodge drug possession charges. The defense counsel made every attempt to get the jury to question Justin Rott's credibility. Kim Downs, the state's firearms examiner, testified about two sets of bullets retrieved from the bodies of Tiffany Roll and Marcus Priscilla. Three years after the murders, the bullets had been traced to two handguns found in a safe stored at the home of Chris Snyder's stepfather. Another key witness for the prosecution was Andrew Taravella, a member of Houston's Homicide Division crime scene unit who'd been among the first on the scene. He displayed graphic crime scene photos of the young victims, reinforcing that the murders could only be described as carnage. Prosecutors insisted they aimed to focus on the victims by displaying the graphic photos. At the same time, Christine's attorney tried to dredge up sympathy for his client. Christine's recorded statement to police was played for the jury. According to ABC News, in the recording, Christine told officers she was afraid of what Chris Snyder might do if she didn't go along with his plan, saying, I was getting scared of him, afraid he'd beat me up. I thought he was going to shoot me. Dr. George S. Glass testified that Christine was a heroin addict who was experiencing withdrawal during police interrogation. According to court documents, Dr. Glass argued that Christine would have said anything in her vulnerable state if she thought it might help her get drugs to end her withdrawal. In another attempt to sway the jury in Christine's favor, DeGuerin laid out the hardship that his client endured as a childhood victim of bullying. But prosecutors undermined any leniency jurors may have been tempted to offer. The brutality Christine had displayed as she beat her injured friend Rachel to death revealed a dark, jealous streak, Prosecutor Freyer surmised. It was undoubtedly difficult for members of the jury to show remorse towards someone who apparently showed no remorse for her defenseless victims. In his closing argument, Prosecutor Rob Freyer reiterated to the jury that Chris Snyder alone was not to blame for the killings. According to the Houston Chronicle, Freyer asked the jury to consider, could this horrible event have happened without her? Of course not. On October 18, 2008, a verdict was delivered. 
Christine Paolia was found guilty on four counts of capital murder. She received an automatic life sentence. The internet is an amazing place for learning just about anything. I mean, you can Google a question and get millions of answers in seconds. But sometimes it's impossible to get a clear answer to your question when there are like 10 different articles telling you 10 different answers. It's the absolute worst when you're trying to figure out the cause of some new symptoms you started feeling. That headache and cough could be nothing to worry about, or it could be something very serious. Now you're dealing with the symptoms, you're confused, stressed out, and in need of answers from a professional ASAP. It's time to head to ZocDoc. There are thousands of top-rated doctors on ZocDoc. They're all listed with verified patient reviews, so you can find and book a doctor who not only has years of experience and an actual medical degree, but also one who gets you. ZocDoc is a free app where you can find amazing doctors and book appointments online. We're talking about booking appointments with thousands of top-rated patient-reviewed doctors and specialists. You can filter specifically for ones who take your insurance, are located near you, and treat almost any condition you're searching for. When booking a doctor on ZocDoc, the typical waiting period is only 24 to 48 hours. And in some cases, you can even secure a same-day appointment. Once you've identified your preferred doctor, you can quickly schedule an appointment with just a few taps on the app, eliminating the need for those time-consuming phone calls. Go to ZocDoc.com murderish and download the ZocDoc app for free. Then find and book a top-rated doctor today. That's Z-O-C-D-O-C.com murderish. ZocDoc.com murderish. Since November of 2008, Christine has filed several appeals. All of them have been denied. She's currently serving her sentence at the Christina Melton Crane Unit in Gatesville, Texas. As reported by the Houston Chronicle, she has to serve 40 years before she's eligible for parole in 2046 at age 60. Rachel Kularudis and Tiffany Roll extended kindness to the most dangerous kind of enemy, someone they considered a true friend. We may never know why Christine betrayed them, but Christine's cold, calculating nature was revealed when she went back into that house to make sure that neither of her best friends survived. Why did Christine feel the need to massacre the few people who'd shown her kindness? Only she knows the answers. Rachel Kulrudis, Tiffany Roll, Marcus Priscilla, and Nick Sanchez had no way of knowing that a typical hangout with friends would turn out to be their last. Perhaps there is some sense of peace in knowing that their killers will likely never be in a position to harm anyone ever again. Thank you for joining me on this episode of Murderish. I launched a brand new podcast along with my friend and co-host, Melissa Moore, called Lipstick and Lies. On Lipstick and Lies, Melissa and I take turns walking each other through mostly female-centric cases involving lady liars and killers, and we offer our own unique perspective as two survivors of crime and women who work full-time in the true crime realm. Lipstick and Lies is available now in all podcast players. If you enjoy Murderish, do me the biggest favor and leave a positive rating and review in Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening now. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and TikTok at Jamie on Air. That's J-A-M-I on Air on Instagram and TikTok. Especially because I recently started a true crime TV club called Serial Streamers. Serial Streamers is just like a book club, only it's a club for people who binge true crime documentaries. If you want to join the Serial Streamers TV club, 
All you have to do is follow me on Instagram at jamieonair and then watch for videos about the latest TV series that we're all watching together so you can join us in the comments and share your thoughts on each series. That's at jamieonair on Instagram. Serial Streamers is also available on YouTube at Jamie on Air. Make sure to subscribe while you're watching. Listen up. If you want ad-free episodes of Murderish, sign up for Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon or at Murderish.com. And then you can start enjoying ad-free episodes right away. That's Murderish Behind the Mic on Patreon or just go to my website at Murderish.com and sign up there. This episode was researched and written by Allison Schwartz. Visit Murderish.com for a list of sources used for this episode. And remember, listening to this podcast doesn't make you a murderer. It just means you're murder-ish. All right, everyone, I need your help with another missing persons case. 18-year-old Drea Standish has been missing since October 4th of 2003. She was last seen in West Hartford, Connecticut, where she was staying at a DCF or childcare facility known as The Bridge. Drea was reported missing by staff there five days after she was last seen. She's described as being five foot one, around 160 pounds, with strawberry blonde hair and blue eyes. Drea was last seen wearing blue jeans, a black shirt, and camouflage Crocs. During her last known appearance, she was carrying a black backpack and two duffel bags. Information regarding Drea Standish's whereabouts should be reported to the West Hartford Police Department at 860-523-5203. That's never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.